touch this this thing from the very beginning of the church that moving across time has come from the apostles even down to us in order that we may have fellowship with Him by extension with the apostles and everyone else who believes in the person of the Gospel who is Jesus Christ. And this was all done by John, he says, in order that he may abide in Christ's command to him and the rest of the apostles in causing others to believe through their message the message of Christ who they saw. In doing so, they would abide in Christ. Christ's joy, therefore, might be His, and that His joy might be brought to completion. Last week, we saw that this is the message that John intended to convey. In verse 5, he says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. That the nature of the being of God, one of the facets of His character, is that He is light. It's an absolute statement. This light isn't simply the, the, the photons that come from the sun or the light bulbs, the physical light that lights up this world. But as we saw last week in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, this light is what brings life to men. He is absolutely this. For in Him is nothing but this light an absolute absence of any darkness or sin and the death that comes along with it. This light shining in the darkness. This light being received by those that according to the first chapter of the Gospel of John were given the right to become the children of God produces a relationship that brings fellowship with Him and with the others that have received it. That relationship looks something like this. In verse 6-10, through 10, John goes on to say, because this is the nature of God, and His being is the light of life, and in Him there's no darkness at all, if we say we have fellowship Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Men may say that they have fellowship with Christ while they walk in the darkness, but if they do, they are liars. And what John is talking about here is not sinless perfection. We see that in verse 8. And yet it is more than the simple reality of sin being in our life, but it literally means to lead a life of. If we lead a life of sin and darkness, when we claim to walk with Christ, who is absolutely the light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, then that is the very definition of lying and not practicing the truth. Yet, what John is talking about here is not sinless perfection. We're on the other side of the coin. In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. So if we claim while leading a life of darkness to walk with Christ and walk with God who is 
absolute lights, then we're liars. And if we, on the other hand, say we have not sinned, we would be attempting to make Him a liar because He says we have. So what is the remedy for this tension in the text? The remedy is the relationship that John describes in between verses 6 and verse 10. The remedy is the relationship that we have in Christ or because of the goodness of the Gospel of grace. If we participate in that Gospel and confessing our sins to Him, He is faithful to forgive them. This is the basis by which true fellowship is maintained. We said last week that you cannot understand, or I don't think you can understand to the depth that you that is intended. You cannot understand the depth of the message that is intended in the first epistle of John unless you already have some grasp on the gospel of John. I mean, if there, if there is, if, if they, if, if you, you were in a Johannian lit class and they said, okay, here is the first epistle of John and we want you to, we want you to, to write an exegetical report on the entirety of the book and you only get to use as your cross-reference source one other book in all of Scripture, every single freshman kid in the class would know the book you pick is the Gospel of John. Because the Gospel of John is the record of what they saw that he is now referencing in the message about Christ. Everything in the first epistle relates back to the Gospel of John. With that in mind, I would tell you that the fellowship that John is speaking about here in setting the stage for the rest of the letter in the first epistle of John, that fellowship is the abiding in Christ that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 15. And the reason we know that, let's just, we're going to be in John chapter 15 quite a bit tonight. And the reason we know that is because of John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. John 15, verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things that I have spoken to you, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Literally, that your joy may be complete or brought to completion. And so, the reason that I say that the fellowship that Christ is talking about may not, actually, identical may be, may be a step too far, but the reason I would tell you that these things are, are, are nearly the same thing and nearly the same concept in Scripture and related in such a way that they cannot be separated is because they both come to the same end. Jesus says... These things about abiding in Him, He has spoken to us that our joy, that His joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. Which is the entire purpose for which John is writing his first letter. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, John says, we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. Now let's talk about a relationship of fellowship. And so what I would tell you tonight is this, is that when it comes to the relationships that are being talked about in the first epistle of John chapter 1 
And in the Gospel of John chapter 15, fellowshipping and abiding, that the word for fellowship is the broader term. It simply means to have communion or partnership with. And the word abiding is the narrower term. As a matter of fact, the word abiding specifically means uh, to stay, to remain, or continue with the specific idea of being at rest. And so when you talk about fellowship, fellowship means you have some communion, uh, you have some agreement, you have some partnership together. Abiding takes that a step further and brings the idea of permanence with it. Not only are you present, not only do you stay, but you are at rest. So what I would tell you is this. Fellowship, broad category, abiding narrower category within it. It's kind of like automobiles and pickup trucks. All automobiles are pickup trucks. All all, that's why you don't pull an example right out of the air. All pickup trucks are automobiles. Not all automobiles are pickup trucks. Because the relationship that is being spoken about in the first epistle of John is a relationship that is shared between the believer and Christ, but also between the believer and the believer. John says we have this fellowship in Christ, and if you have it too, then you also have fellowship with us. But the type of abiding, the permanence of rest that is spoken of by Christ in John chapter 15 is a very, very specific type. As a matter of fact, He uses the grapevine and its branches to explain it. If you go back to the beginning of John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, here's what abiding in Him looks like. What abiding in Christ looks like is this. He says, I am the true vine. Now this is one of those M.A. statements. We talked about this concept last week where, where, where he says, God is light. It is the nature of His being. Here is Jesus giving a similar statement about Himself. This is what I am. He says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Or sorry, every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What an incredible statement. From a, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So here is what... Big, broad concept of fellowship. Specific concept of abiding. Both are intimate related, related to each other as they are headed to the same place. That Christ's joy be in us and our joy be complete. But the specific thing about abiding is it's not just communion and partnership in fellowship. 
but it is a specific bonding of one in the other so that Jesus can say not only is, hey, this is a great parable, let me tell you about the vine, but instead says, ego ime, I am the vine. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And abiding in me is the equivalent of the branch being in the vine. Not on it, not next to it, not in partnership with it, but actually in it. To the point that for the guy that's not a vine dresser like me, when I say like me, I don't mean the guy that's, I mean, I'm not a vine dresser. I don't have the skill to tell you where the branch ends and the vine begins. The vine dresser does, and the father knows. But I don't know. This is what abiding is. At rest in place. This is what we have in Christ. And since, just down the vine, is another branch that has that as well. And just down the vine this way is another one that has that as well. The specific relationship of abiding in Christ produces a more generalized fellowship that is not only between the branch and the vine, but now between all of the rest of the branches that are connected to it. So Jesus continues in this way. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now this is one of the things that we touched on at camp and we have to touch on it again here tonight because if you take the 15th chapter, especially the first part of the 15th chapter here of the Gospel of John into isolation away from the context of the rest of what Jesus was saying in this particular instance. I'm not even talking about the Gospel of John in its grand overview, but right here in this particular teaching, if you take it out of context, then there seems to be a very real conflict between love, obedience, and salvation that comes in Christ alone. And what I mean by that is this. Both love and obedience are obviously from John chapter 15, and with, with obedience, we mean keeping the commandments of Christ, are necessary companions of abiding in Him. As a matter of fact, love and obedience are so closely connected to each other, so close that many people will often stray into a stray into a, a, a false doctrine of either legalism that says man's obedience is irrelevant to abiding in Christ, while others will say, um, make an argument of, of license um, that says that man's obedience is irrelevant to Christ loving him. But the reality is this, is man's obedience is proof that the love of God is our joy and that our joy is coming to its full 
in abiding in Christ. And so what we're saying here is this. To stay, to remain, to continue at rest in Jesus Christ is the foundation, not the result, of a relationship that shows itself in the way that men walk. And if you have this abiding, or if you claim you do, and then walk in darkness, you are claiming to be at rest in something that is only truly light and life, and therefore you are a liar. At the same time, because of the nature of where you came from, this is not the end of the vine-dresser saga. For we were all once wild vines having nothing to do with this one, and were grafted in so that we may abide. Abiding is an incredibly important concept. It's necessary for fellowship in Jesus Christ. And yet, if we're going to be fair, when you read verse 9, John 15, where Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. When you read that, then it should, does to me, and it should to you, it should bring some very real weight of contemplation about the nature of our walk. If, small word in the English, massive concept. If. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. The relationship of love and abiding is displayed in Christ. He says, if you do this, it will be just like it is with me and my Father. Just like I've kept His commandments, just like I abide in His love. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to, to, to have fellowship, to have abiding with Christ, the way that Christ has fellowship and abiding with the Father? Everyone does. If you, I mean, if you claim to be a Christian, you do. And, and, and if you find yourself apart from Christ but are under conviction and believing the testimony of Christ that these men that saw this and heard this and, 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 and touched this are saying about it, then you desire that even though you don't yet have it. Jesus is both obedient to God and abiding in God's love. If you'll do this, you'll have the same abiding, you'll have the same relationship that I have. Of course, the problem with applying that standard to us is that Christ and the Father are one. And Christ has never once been disobedient. And Christ has always abided in the Father. And those two words, never and always, are simply not true for men. They're not true for men. I mean, the very reason that we needed to be saved to begin with is because we have been disobedient. Where Christ was never disobedient. The reason that it is so critical for us to, to be at rest and permanently in God is because unlike Christ, who has always abided in the Father, men have not always abided in the Father. And so I think you have to ask the question that 
it's kind of the big if, you know, when you look and, and make the, the implication that comes out of the text. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love, then you say, if is conditional. If you are obedient, you will abide. Fair enough. But what if you're not? That becomes the question. And Jesus doesn't explicitly say here in verse 9 what the if you're not would be, but the answer is while not implicit or explicit, it's certainly implicit. It is certainly implied. The answer implied would be no obedience means no abiding. No abiding means no salvation. Of course, that immediately begins to kind of you know, ruffle our feathers as well it should. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus has already said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So that seems like a clear enough statement. So how do we reconcile these things? And the answer is the way that John is reconciling them in the first epistle. It is not, it is a, it is not a situation where checking boxes and, and participating in activity produces a relationship. It is a situation where having a relationship produces activity. And we so often as men want to get the cart before the horse. The love and obedience relationship of men abiding in Christ, John or Jesus covers at the very beginning of this particular teaching in John chapter 14 in verses 15 through 24. This is why I know, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, that, that, uh, Maybe it's a, we're the context police or whatever. You got to have it in context, but you really do. You really do, because you know Jesus is perfect in his communication, and, and so when he's saying hard things and he's saying difficult things, and, and, and he knows that we're finite and that we're not perfect and we're not infinite, um, then what you'll find is often if you look up the page, um, the the burning, you know, perceived contradiction that you have in your mind. Christ has already clarified before He even got to the statement that's throwing you off. In John chapter 14, and verse 15 through 24, Jesus says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Now look, there's an if later. right? It's coming in verse 10 of 15. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, if you keep my commandments, you will be at rest in my love. That is absolutely true. The problem is, is we have a tendency to superimpose our own ideas upon that statement and say that is the means by which we come to rest in His love. That by keeping the commandments, that, what, that is what places me so that I may stay and abide. And Jesus never says that. What Jesus says is this. If you love Me, if love comes first, then you will keep My commandments. And then 
there is an entire chain reaction of relationship that comes out of that. Looks like this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He is the regenerative agent of the new creation and the means by which a physical and spiritual human here on earth can actually abide in Christ who is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. He's the one. This is the way that the wild branch is being grafted into the true vine. I will not leave you as orphans. Man, this isn't checking boxes. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And because the vine lives, then the branches engrafted into it that are abiding in it will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Man, this thing is so tangled up that you can't separate it. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Why? Because if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You have to start where Jesus starts. You can't jump in in the middle. Why is it that he? Why is it that whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me? Because if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Fellowship, relationship that comes through abiding. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now when you look at the hermeneutics, which is the... you look, if, if exegesis is the large process by which we, we look to Scripture and come away from Scripture with meaning, hermeneutics is the means by which you go about doing that. And so our hermeneutic here at Mount Zion has always been the most simple, straightforward, God-fearing hermeneutic when it comes to Scripture that I know of, and, and that's this, is, is vocabulary and grammar combining context to convey meaning. And man, if that's not the foundation for your hermeneutic, then you're inevitably going to end up in higher textual criticism, and at some point you're going to be questioning whether this is even the Word of God or not. That's our foundation. But beyond that, there is much to build on. And if you've ever taken the How to Study Your Bible class, we talk about this. If you've ever taken the hermeneutics class, we talk about this a little bit. And there are things that are used in 
in literature, and, and it's and while some of it's almost nearly universal, there's some of it that is particular to specific cultures and times. There's certainly a difference between what's going on with the Hebrew and what's going on with the Greek, but there's a couple of things that you want to look at in Scripture that bring a lot of weight to the table. And the three big ones when it comes to, to didactic texts that are designed to teach, the three big ones are this. The principle of first mention. The first time that a concept that is going to be repeated over and over and over and over, the very first time it comes up is a pivotal moment, which is one of the reasons we always find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3, talking about the promise of God that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. It's a big deal the first time it comes up. Number two, it's a big deal when things are repeated, the same concept repeated in a slightly different manner back to back. That is evidence that a point is trying to be driven home. And thirdly, if something is said both in the positive and in the negative, then it's really driving home. And so you know how you do this. We do this when we're communicating with each other. We do this when we're communicating with children and God's the Father communicating to us. You know, we'll say something in the positive and the negative. I mean, how many of you, when you, re- when you want to make sure your kids hear it all, do you repeat yourself? Pretty much everybody. I know my parents did. They repeated themselves all the time. You repeat yourself in different ways to try to see if one of those ways will get its hook into their mind and stick. Right? You say it in the positive and the negative. I want you to go to the car. I want you to go straight to the car and not to anywhere else. Right? This is, this is communication that is meant to drive these concepts home. And so lest there be any confusion, because those that keep His commandments are those who love Him, lest there be any confusion in the dusty little minds and the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, that the way you arrive at the place to abide in is by keeping the commandments and therefore have a relationship, lest you be confused in that, Jesus says, I'm going to put it to you this way. The first time I say it, I'm telling you where it starts. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now let me drive it home. Let me repeat myself and let me say it in a couple of different ways. Whoever has my commandments in verse 21 and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you have manifested yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love to him, love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now here it is in the negative Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Christ explains in detail the relationship between love and obedience that produces abiding. And that is this. Love comes before obedience and produces it out of the abiding of Christ and not the other way around. There's never been one of His own that became one of His own and became loved by God because He obeyed. 
the reality is that Scripture tells us that God loved His own before the foundations of the world. That God loved His own when, 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 when they were conceived in iniquity. That God loved His own when they were born in the image of their father Adam, Genesis chapter 5. Man, if you think that you're going to have to be obedient for God to love you, no one would ever be loved by God. The reality is, is this. is that because God loves us, it produces the love for Him in us by grace. And that love in turn acts out in a complex relationship that results in the actions of obedience. Say, well man, are are you teaching license? Are you teaching lasciviousness? It doesn't matter. No, no. Quite the contrary. What Scripture teaches is that the action that you participate in proves what you are. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove what you are. So prove to be my disciples. So we'll finish tonight where we started. The first epistle of John, verses 5 through 10. Here's the message God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What does that look like? Does it look like sinless perfection? No, it does not. Does it look like a license for sin where we can say we have no sin? No, you would make him a liar. What it looks like is relationship that is fellowship because of abiding in Christ that is the relationship by which grace comes to us. The whole point of what John is writing. The point that what he saw and heard and touched is communicating to us in order that the fellowship that he shares with Christ and the Father and that he shares with others that share fellowship with Christ and the Father may be enjoyed by us as well and in doing so that his joy might be complete. That's a mouthful. We'll pick up in chapter 2.